Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Amen. I love that. Believe more and fear less. I want to welcome you to our church service this morning. My name is Rick Thompson. All of you know that, but those who are viewing online welcome you to our conclusion of our series that we've entitled Haunted, Facing Our Fears. But before we jump into the message today, I want to welcome the newest uh, member of Living Water Community Church, Miss Riley Grace Melody. Yes. Oh, look at that. So cute. And so our, our love and our prayers go out to Megan and Dylan and, and the family. Congratulations to uh, John and Michelle on the, you know, their grandchild. And so we want to welcome them. <clears throat> well, again, we've been in a series that we've entitled Haunted, Facing Our Fears. And so far we've talked about identifying those generalized fears and ways to overcome them. Uh, Pastor Sean's been doing a great job, hasn't he? Amen, right? Let's give it up for Pastor Sean. Well, he specifically dealt with the fear of failure and the fear of death. If you missed those two, go back and listen to it. It's uh, quite enlightening and very good. Well, today we're going to be tackling the fear of rejection. The fear of rejection or whatever label the world tries to put on us that's not biblical. Probably every sociologist and psychologist would attest to the fact that these are probably two of the highest and most difficult ones to to overcome, the fear of rejection, the fear of failure. Those are the top two that a lot of people have, and it's a hard time for them to overcome it. Things that can plague us even from the cradle to the grave, and, and, and really from the playground to the boardroom, and it speaks to every aspect of our lives. Now, if you were ever picked last as a kid when they were picking people, you know what I'm talking about, you know, to be on their team um, on the playground, you know what I'm talking about. And if you've ever got one of those, what we call a Dear John breakup letter from the person that you've loved so dearly and all of a sudden you get this letter or today it's a text or an email, you know what I'm talking about in terms of rejection. Or you've just simply lost your job. And there's a lot of people in our, in our world today, especially in our country, with COVID and all this other stuff going on, are losing their jobs. And so with so many people out of work due to the pandemic, there are people dealing with, this, with these two things, the fear of failure and the fear of rejection. Now concerning trying to find work, I, I came across this um, letter a few years ago. And this is what it says, it says, Herbert A. Millington, Chair, Chair Search Committee, 412A Clarkson Hall, Whitsum University, College Hill, Massachusetts. Dear Professor Millington, thank you for your letter on March 16th, March 16th. After careful consideration, I regret to inform you that I am unable to accept your refusal to offer me an assistant professor position in your department. This year, I've been particularly fortunate in receiving an unusually large number of rejection letters with such a varied and promising field of candidates, it is impossible for me to accept 
all refusals. Despite Winston's outstanding qualifications and previous experiences in rejecting applicants, I find that your rejection does not meet my needs at this time. Therefore, I will assume the position of assistant professor in your department this August. I look forward to seeing you then. Best of luck in rejecting future applicants. Sincerely, Chris L. Jensen. Now, anybody get what's going on in this letter? Chris <laughs> got tired of getting rejected, so what did he do? He decided to reject the rejection. He rejected the rejection. Now, as funny as that sounds, there's a profound truth in there, and I think we all need to hear concerning overcoming the fears that we're having, overcoming these things that we come under, and the fears that take place in our lives. We need to learn how to not just accept everything that comes our way, but we need to learn how to reject some of these things, to reject them, to say no to some of the, the labels that society puts on us or the devil tries to put on us and try to make us believe and start to say yes to whatever God says. Amen? Can I get an amen? amen. And, and so in Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, this is what the Bible says in the message. It says, don't lie to one another. You're, you're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting Ill -fitting clothes that you've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Someone say new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator. I, I love getting, I love going shopping, getting new things. Anybody with me? You know, every now and then, if you just want to lift your mood, you'll go, go buy something new, right? He says, every item that's coming your way, he says, is, um, every item of your new way of life is custom made by your creator with his label on it, and, and all the old fashions are now, what, what's the word it's using? Obsolete. Obsolete. That means it's no longer in fashion anymore, right? No longer usable. It's like, it's like the eight-track tape. Anybody remember that? or the cassette, or the, the record player, or the C CD, clothing-wise, when I was younger, it was bell-bottoms, and hush puppies, come on, and, 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 sto and stuff like that. But these things are now absolute, absolute, as far as God's concerned. He's given us something new. And so I want you to write down somewhere, I want you to write down where it says his label on you. I want you to say, write that down somewhere. Because God has also put his label on us. Because I want you to keep that in mind as we look at the Bible story this morning. And I want to learn the lessons on how to deal with and reject another one of these major fears that seem to attach themselves to our lives. And really understand how to walk in the newness of Christ's label and, and what he has for all of us. But let's look at that old familiar text. We all know it. In Luke chapter 10 verse 38. It says, we're at the home of Mary and Martha, and it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he had to say. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that, that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. Someone say many things. But few things are needed, or indeed, only one. I love it when the Lord brings me down to just one thing. 
You know, I start to, as the older I get, my memory is not as good as when I was younger. But I can remember one thing. Come on. He says, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Okay, what's happening here? Clearly, Martha, Martha is a good person, right? She's a good person, but she's having a bad day. Can anybody relate to that? Any of us have, have some bad days? It's not that you're a bad person. It's just they're just getting on your nerves that day. Or, or the person cuts you off, or they just caught you at a bad moment. Well, we've all, we've all kind of been there. We've, we've, we've had bad days. Now, why is she having a bad day? Well, she's allowed herself to get agitated and upset about, uh, uh, because, because she's got this gift of hospitality. And, and the way things are going, she was afraid that ultimately she was going to look bad. And consequently, she was, if she was going to look bad in front of Jesus and the guests, she felt like she was going to be rejected. I mean, she's one of these people who, who have their identity and self-worth wrapped up in what they do. And so she, was, she wasn't a bad person, as the scripture says, because her and her sister were friends of Jesus. And the Bible said that Jesus stopped there often and would pass that way and, and hang out with them. And so, so permit me to speculate just for a moment what she might be feeling, okay? We know from history that generally speaking, the way women in the first century of Jewish culture received their value or their self-worth was one of two ways. Who can guess what they were? Number one, husband. If they had a husband and the position the, the, position the husband had in the community. And number two, through the children that they raised, primarily males as they assumed the leadership responsibility of the family when the mom and dad got old. And so that's how they got their identity. And so, and so just a casual observer can easily see that neither of them are married at this time. It doesn't say why, but, but, but they're not married, probably not. And, and at the end of the day, there's no husbands and there's no children. So they're unmarried and they live together. And whatever social uh, labels or baggage or stigma that might have said about them, that's going through their minds, and that's happening in their, in their community. Now, listen, just throw in a couple cats, and you'll start to get the picture of what's going on with these ladies. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? So right now, at this moment in Martha's life, she, she's finding her personal value through her work and through her hospitality, and we all know people like that. It, it may not be, be you or me, but but you go to some people's homes, and you ever been to some people's homes? It looks like good housekeeping. It looks like something out of a, out of a magazine. It barely looks like it's lived in because that speaks to who they are. My house looks lived in. It's always looked lived in. Amen? I've always had a lot of kids. But there are people like that. So, so along comes Jesus with his entourage in tow, and everything he has uh, has to be just right as far as she's concerned because if it's not, well, what's that going to say about her? I mean, she's got the casserole in the oven. She's got the rice on the stove. The smell of, I don't know, beanie weenies is filtering through the house, right? And, 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 and I could imagine she's got my favorite meal uh, prepared to go in, a pineapple upside-down cake. It needs to go in in 25 minutes. But there's only one problem. There's only one problem. The guests are running out of hors d'oeuvres, and she's stressing out. And the bottom line is she can use some help. I mean, the dishes are starting to pile up, and, and where's Mary? 
What is she doing? She looks in there, and what is she doing? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him. And so she really wants to tell her off, but everyone knows that, 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 that you can't tell anybody off if Jesus is in the room. Right? Now, can I give you a little secret? He is in the room. Next time you decide to give someone half of your mind, I only give them a piece of my mind. You remember what I said, right? Be careful about giving away pieces of your mind. You might need it one day. And so you, you, you can't do it while Jesus is in the room. And so, so she decides instead she's going to complain to Jesus. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Can you please tell her to help me? And again, I love Jesus' response because it might, as well, it might as well be a life verse for a lot of us. He, he says, Martha, Martha. Matter of fact, why don't you just go ahead and put your name in there? I want to put my name in there. Rick, Rick. Martha, Martha. Jim, Jim. Maria, Maria. Okay? He says, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed and indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what's better, and that will not be taken away from her. You see, you've got yourself all worked up in the way you're doing things. But Mary, Mary's at peace, and I'm not going to take her peace from her. So in that moment, Jesus kind of cuts to the chase, and he says, Mary, you've, you've allowed yourself to be distracted to the point of fear and anxiety because you think that's where your values lay and what people think about you. Can I say to you today that it doesn't? That's not where your values lay. Mary actually realized where it came from. You know where our value comes from? In a relationship with Jesus. In a relationship with Christ. And so here are our first set of questions that I want to ask and answer this morning. He says, am I working against God, apart from God, or am I working with God? Am I working against God, apart from God, or am I working with God? It's one of those three things. Against God, against God, perhaps is probably the easiest to spot, right? Against God is you're basically doing the opposite of whatever God is asking you to do in certain areas of your life. You're just in rebellion. He's telling you to go left, you're going right. He's telling you to go up, you're going down. He says, don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. That's what you're doing. And so you're, you're losing your peace and you're full of anxiety because you're doing the opposite of what he says. Against God is the easiest one to spot. What's hardest to identify is working apart from God, okay? That's the hard one because you're doing the work, but you're not exactly doing it with God. In other words, you're, you're doing it, but the results of that work is worrying, it's agitation, it's distractions, and it doesn't mean that there's sin in the camp. No, no, no one got caught in bed with somebody else or smoking weed or robbing a bank, what was she doing? She was, she was doing her best to serve Jesus. And in her work, she got tired. She gets frustrated. She gets depressed, and she feels like God doesn't care. Anybody ever, anyone ever been there? Can I be honest? I've been there. You just feel like God doesn't care. You're the breadwinner. 
and you lose your job, where's God? Your Susie homemaker and the kids have gone off the reservation. They start giving you nothing but problems. You, you, you have serious marriage issues, and you're so afraid that if people find out that you have these marriage issues, what, what are they going to think? Because it's going to blow your image. Or you're not married. And all of society says by the time you're 27, you, know, you should have at least you know, two kids, a, a, a house, and a white, a, 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 with a white picket fence around it. And so those labels are put on you, and you're not meeting up to those labels. You, you, you feel like you should be able to cope, but the truth is when nobody's looking, what's happening? You're falling apart. You're having problems. Pastor Rick keeps telling, keeps saying things aren't falling apart, but they're falling into place. And that's true. But in your personal world, it feels like things are falling apart. Come on, somebody. On the outside, though, it shouldn't be. You see, Martha, like so many of us, have bought the labels of the world that put these expectations on you to be this or to do that. And if you don't, you're somehow less than. And it's a lie. And the result of it is you, you're just kind of totally stressed out. You, you can't be honest with who you are or what's going on in your life. Mary, who essentially was in the same boat, she didn't do that. In essence, what she said to society is, was, at this time, I'm not accepting your rejection letter. Come on, somebody. I'm not accepting your labels. I know there's expectations from me as, as to who I am in society, but I'm not going to do that. Jesus is in the house, and the most important thing I can do in my life at this time is to focus on Jesus. Come on, somebody. It's to listen to what Jesus has to say. That he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the, he's the one who gives us the peace. Amen? And so, so he, she's basically saying, thank you, no thanks. Now, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Help me, somebody. <clears throat> of power and love and a sound mind. We're more than 80%, we've already talked about that, 80% of the fears that come our way is false. It's, it's false evidence appearing real. It's, it doesn't actually happen. But the enemy is slick that way. He's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And he, he can get you in the fear, but most of the time, if you just stand your ground and keep your eyes on Jesus, it's a bluff. It's a bluff. Someone say it's a bluff. And so the solution is that we need to stay grounded in the love of God. Amen? Grounded in Jesus. That's where we need to stay. Write that sound somewhere. And so I've come up with a couple, four things. It spells out love. Obviously, L stands for love. Write that down. And in 1 John 4, 16, it says, And so we know and rely on the what? On the love God has for us, and then it tells us what it is. He says, God is, help me someone, say it again, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment 
In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. And so it doesn't say the fear is not there. But the more we become immersed in the love of God, it, it takes a stand. Come on. And it pushes fear out. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. And so we kind of keep reminding ourselves that we are loved by the Father. No, perfectly loved by the Father. Completely loved by the Father. We are <laughs> the apple of his eye. Come on, somebody. We are the, he gave his one and only son for us, and he didn't do it for junk. We are completely and utterly loved by the Father. And that's what Paul was saying, the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 3, verse 35. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? How many of you know that? The Apostle Paul went through all these things. And so he wasn't excluded from these things. He wasn't excluded from trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of the sword. He went through all of that, but he didn't let the process of him going through it speak to who, who he was and, and tell him a lie that God doesn't love him. See, we would get these circumstances in our lives, and then the devil would say, yeah, you screwed up. God doesn't love you. And that's just a lie straight from the pit of hell. Come on, somebody. He goes on to say, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are, what's, what's the word? More than, conquerors. More than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ our Lord. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Nothing. Nothing. What are you facing today? Nothing can separate you. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. That's in Christ Jesus. The O stands for omnipotent and omnipresent, which means all-powerful and present everywhere. He's our all-powerful and present Father. Write that down somewhere. That if you belong to him, this is his promise, I won't ever leave you. I don't care how bad things look. I don't care what's taking place in your life. It reminded me of that you remember that old poem years ago when I was a teenager, I heard it, where the kid is walking on the, gets a vision of his life, uh, and he sees it, footprints in the sand, and he turns to the Lord and he says, Lord, why during the most difficult times of my life, it seems like there's only one set of footprints? It feels like you've left me during the most difficult times of my life. And the Lord's response was, no, my son, I, I would never leave you. During the most difficult times in your life, that's when I carried you. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's why some of you, you need to know this. God is carrying you. God is carrying me. When things get difficult, no, he's not abandoning you. He's carrying you. That's what the psalmist found out, David. In, in Psalms chapter 139, it says, 
It says, Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. Your place, you place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never, never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Now, again, before you say that's easy for David to say, I mean, because he was the king and all, and he was a man after God's own heart, you got to know David's history. I believe Pastor Sean touched on it. He had his weak moments. There's a period of time when he actually slept with his neighbor's wife, got her pregnant, and decided he was going to, to cover up his sin, he was going to have her husband killed. He had, he had one of the most dysfunctional families ever. I mean, you think your family's bad? Take a look at David's. One of his oldest sons rapes his half-sister tomorrow. David ha- does nothing about it for two years, and, and the brother gets so upset, Absalom, that he kills his brother and he flees. Then he's allowed back. And then he thinks so poorly of his dad that he stages a coup to take over, pushes David out, and then he, 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 he sleeps with David's wives. Come on, talk about dysfunctional. And, and, and predictably, he ends up getting himself killed by David's men, but it doesn't stop there. David's third and fourth son, they fight over the throne, and when he, when he gets old, then the fourth son kills the third son. Dysfunctional. Just a complete mess. And, and by the way, the baby dies. And so you think you got problems? You think you got issues in your life? David was called a man after God's own heart. And so in spite of all this dysfunction, the, the reason David was considered someone after God's heart was because, because David found his value and refuge, refuge in God. Yes. Not the law. But the grace, the grace of God didn't just show up in the New Testament. It's always been there. Amen. For anybody who would humble their hearts and repent and turn to him. He saw in God a merciful and graceful father who would never, ever leave him and loved him. My beautiful wife's favorite verse, Deborah. Love that girl. But her favorite life verse is 2 Timothy 2.13. And this is what it says. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Anybody know what I'm talking about? In other words, a lot of times we think that God is holding on to us like this, and that if we let go, he lets go. No, brothers and sisters, God is holding on to us like this, and if we let go, and we are faithless, he cannot disown himself. Come on, somebody. You belong to him. You belong to him. I belong to him. Those who are hurting, you belong to him. I don't care what you're going through. You belong to him, and he's not abandoning you. He will never abandon you. Jesus says, I've lost none except the son of perdition who was, who was supposed to be lost. 
But all, he says, the Father, all that you put in my hands, I've lost none of them. You belong to him. Which means that we have value. Write that down. Our value comes not from what we do, but from who we belong to. You've heard me say it many times. It's not who you are, it's whose we are. Amen? Amen. It's the fact that we are in his kingdom. We're part of his family. We are heirs and joint heirs of Christ. He calls us He calls us his family. And then lastly, that he's everlasting and all-encompassing love. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. I ask the Father in in his great glory to give you the power to be strong inwardly through his spirit. I pray that Christ will live in your hearts by faith and that your life will be strong in love and built in love. And I pray that you and all God's holy people will have the power to understand the greatness of Christ's love. Listen, how wide and how long and how high and how deep that love is. Christ's love is greater than anyone could ever know. But I pray that you will be able to know that love. Then you can be filled with the fullness of God. You know what we all need? A revelation of God, a revelation of Christ, a revelation of how he actually feels about us. You know what that tells me? That regardless of whatever labels the world tries to put on me, whatever labels the world tries to put on you, that we have the ability to reject the rejection label. Come on, somebody that you don't have to accept it. You don't have to accept it at all. Instead, we need to respond to the truth of God's word that says we are brand new creations in Christ and that we are deeply loved by the Father. Can I get a witness? Anybody out there? You understand what I'm saying? We can either go through this life wearing the labels that the enemy tries to put on us or we can reject them and stand under the the grace and the glory and the good news of the Word of God that says that we are brand new creatures in Christ and that we are deeply loved by the Father. In Christ, we have it all. We are children of the King, and our King owns it all. Amen? He owns it all. And in spite of our apparent frailties, and let me just say, you're not shocking God. God knows us. He knows our strengths, and he knows our weaknesses. When I do marriage counseling, that's one of the things we talk about in marriage counseling. What's your partner's strength? What's their weakness? Can you still love them through, your, through the weaknesses? God does. Amen? He doesn't hold that stuff against us. He knows our frailties. And and he knows that those frailties, they don't define us. And so today, today we need to choose to sit at the feet of the master. The one thing. The one thing. Martha, Martha. Say your name. You are upset. 
and agitated about a lot of things. But really only one thing matters. And Mary has chose that one thing. And that won't be taken. And what did she do? She chose not to sit on the, the labels and the expectations of the world or what they thought she should be doing in that moment. And she said, I reject that. I reject the rejection. I reject failure. I reject lies. I reject condemnation. Come on, somebody. I reject doubt. We need to start doubting doubt and walking in faith. Amen? And just start believing God and, and, and be honest like, like the man who, who came to Jesus and said, can you heal my son? He, and Jesus said, do you believe I can do this? And he said, help me in my unbelief. And the Lord didn't say, no, you don't have enough faith. What did the Lord do? He said, okay. He healed him. And so even when I am faithless, he remains faithful. He remains faithful. What are you facing today? What's roaring at you? What's other labels that the world is putting on you? What is causing you to put on masks? Listen, we don't need those masks. God knows what's going on. And he still absolutely loves you. He says you're to die for. You're to die for. And that's literally what Jesus did. He died for every single one of us. And he gives this invitation. Listen, stop running away from me because no one's going to love you more than I do. I've got a plan, a purpose for your life. The sin in your life, I've taken care of. You know what I did? He's speaking. I took it upon myself and I paid that sin penalty. Past, present, and future. If you re repent and ask for forgiveness, I will not just forgive you partially. I'll forgive you completely and utterly. I will wash away every stain. Repent of it. And I have the ability not just to to catch you but he says in my grace I have the ability to keep you and that doesn't mean you're not going to go through some things the apostle Paul went through a lot of things but he became convinced that nothing shall separate him from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus not angels or heights or depths or demons things present the things to come troubles Nothing shall separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The key is to be in Christ Jesus. And so if you're here today or you're listening to me on the sound of my voice and you've not yet made that commitment to the love of your soul, it's been my privilege and my honor just to lead you in a prayer of surrender. That's really what, what it is. It's saying, Lord, I, I can't do it myself. I'm done with the struggle. I'm done with the mass. I take it off. And I need you. Can we get honest with God today? Can we just say, Lord, I need you. I want you. I want to feel that love that the pastor's talking about. 
it starts by saying yes to him. And no matter what you go through, he says, I'm not going to leave you. Yeah, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. He says, but be of good cheer. I've overcome this world. And so let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And if that's you today, if you've not yet accepted Christ as your Savior, you'd like to. Say something like this from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you today and I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I've won a few labels, worldly labels. I don't want them anymore. I want the newness, the new labels that you've put on me that says I'm forgiven, that says I, that you will never leave me, that says all my sins are washed away in the sea of forgetfulness. Say, I'm sorry, Father. Forgive me. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Thank you for dying on the cross. And three days later, rising from the dead. Well, have your head is bowed and have your eyes closed. If you said that prayer with me by way of a first time or a recommitment, just go ahead and slip up your hand and say, Pastor Rick, I prayed with you today. I committed my life to Christ. I recommitted my life to Christ. And right, right where you are, I don't need to see your hands. Just put it up there and say, I prayed with you today. God sees you. Understand that God sees you wherever you're at. And the message is that he absolutely loves you. Father, give us a new revelation of how you feel about us and help us never, 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 never fall back into the lies of this world and this enemy. We commit this day and this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray and we all said Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.